0: Well I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack BBQ on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef and pork
1: Professor Willi Messerschmidt und Professor Ernst Heinkel. Die Autobahn trägt eine Perspektive in die Landschaft ein. Ohne Auto, Flugzeug und Lautsprecher, sagte Hitler, wäre die Eroberung der Macht nicht möglich gewesen. Deutschland wird motorisiert. Das war 1933 beschlossene Sache. Hier Rosemeyer bei seiner Rekordfahrt. Über 400 Stundenkilometer. Es beginnt der Versuch, die Volkswirtschaft die Autoindustrie zu fundieren. Eine großzügige Motorisierung. Es wird versprochen, das ganze deutsche Volk an der Motorisierung zu beteiligen. Technik für die oberen 10.000, sagte Goebbels zur einen Seite, sei volksfremd, ja volksschädlich. Eine Verringerung der Autotypen habe sich als notwendig erwiesen. Unsere großen Klassen, sagt er zur anderen Seite, werden weiterhin intensiv ausgebaut. Unser Volkswagen. Das Wirtschaftswunder. Ein Auto für alle. Das ist die Idee. Auch ausländische Journalisten wurden zu überzeugten Freunden des KDF-Wagens. Anlässlich der Automobilausstellung machten sie eine Fahrt über die Reichsautobahn nach Magdeburg und lernten den Volkswagen als ein Wunder der Technik kennen. Dieser Volkswagen, Zitat, bringt ja doch ganz neue Werte. Und alle diese Werte liegen auf der geistigen und seelischen Ebene. Dieser Volkswagen wird eine völlig neue Technik des Reisens schaffen. Doch Hitler hatte Ferdinand Porsche beauftragt, ein Auto für 1000 Reichsmark zu entwickeln. Nach dem Motto Kraft durch Freude auf der Autobahn für jeden Volksgenossen. Der Volkswagen ging 1938 in Produktion. Es waren gerade mal 800 Wagen gebaut worden, als der Krieg begann. Die Fabrik wurde geschlossen. Auch andere Autos wurden auf die Autobahn zugeschnitten. Modelle, bei denen man auf Luxus und Geschwindigkeit setzte, wie bei diesem 1936 in den Adlerwerken gebauten Autobahnwagen. Manchmal flitzen auch Rennwagen über die Autobahn. 1938 stellte Rudolf Caracciola auf einem Abschnitt vor den Toren Stuttgarts einen Geschwindigkeitsweltrekord auf. 432,7 km/h.
2: 1937
1: ein Auto mit dieser Geschwindigkeit zu fahren, das war bewundernswert.
3: Hey Rocky, No doubt about it. I gotta get another hat.
0: Now, here's something we hope you'll really
4: like. Hi, this is John Force, and you're listen, listening to Nostalgic
0: Radio and Cars. You do it better than me. You do I it. Don't know. <laughs> Actually, I, that's always a good promo right there, just in itself.
4: I'm John Force, and uh, you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
0: You're tuned into nostalgia for radio and cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google, Talk 1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Wow, I'll tell you what, Brain Fart City. Anyway, good evening, Bobby. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Did I do okay there? Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. And behind our uh, COVID-19 window over there, COVID-2020, I should say, Mr. Tommy. Good evening. How you doing, bud? I'm just great. You selves? Yeah. Well, hanging in there, yeah. hanging in there. Yeah, we're keeping uh, clean and green and safe and all of other good stuff. But uh,
5: and I have, I haven't confirmed this, but I have been told by a notification that today is National Radio Day.
0: Yes, well, I and it's saw it on a Tuesday. <laughs> on a Tuesday, National. Here's the National Radio Day. Here's my hey, race track coffee. coffee. So <laughs> that's all we can have on uh, the air. Well, actually, it's not even coffee. It's water. I just have the coffee. Oh, the, well, I got well, ice. Just, co- just go for a little, slow plug for okay race track. <laughs> you know, so that's where I go get my stuff. And uh, I had to put. I wanted it to keep cool, so I put ice in a little. Yes. Uh, what's the thing called styrofoam? Uh, yeah, they're very. They're thermal friendly. They keep everything. Yeah.
5: At yeah, right yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Anyway, okay, so... Happy National Radio Day. Happy National Radio. Happy National Radio Day to you too, Tommy. And, uh, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to do part two of last week. We had this... uh Super cool guy here, mm-hmm. land speed record guy Dick Keller on. and we're gonna have Dick on here in a little bit, in a few minutes. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna talk a little bit about what do we got? We got Meekman coming up next weekend, yeah, right, Bobby? Yep, yeah,
5: yep. Yeah.
0: And mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you go online, there's a lot of you know this week, right now, this show, this week, today, Tuesday, I should be in Monterey, California. Oh yeah, would have been a remote. Doing my live remote from Monterey, California, but because of this uh, COVID thing. Uh, We're sitting here in the studio in downtown Clearwater. It's pretty comfortable here, though. It is, with (laughs) air conditioning. And it's National Radio Day, so what better way to... That's true. But in California, (laughs) my home state, I might add, again and again and again, it is beautiful weather. It's cool. It would be sweater weather right about this time in the evening. And uh, it's just a spectacular day, spectacular cars. Today would be Concours on the Ave, our good friend uh, Doug Friedman. Now, I'm going to get some of the guys on in the next couple of weeks uh, from Monterey, but I wanted to do part two because we had Dick last on our show last week so i postponed a few things cuz he was a real interesting guy we didn't get to get into a lot of this land speed stuff and of course he was just finishing up the story about when they broke the record at the time in 1970 so um, we will pick up where he left off. In the meantime, let's see. Do um, you want to do any plugs real quick? Oh, yeah. Any shameless was, plugs for yeah, our, good, our well, good? Well, they're not shameless. They're no, they're quite, very. They're quite they're quite very uh,
5: we're that's what dignity. We the, are. We are. Yeah, we're, yeah. We are endorsing this. Yes. Go ahead. Um, yeah. Well, I still got the taste in my mouth from the rib shack barbecue. Oh yes. Um, and I was, as I was standing there waiting, you know, far away, you know, nice and spaced out. I was looking at this great. Uh deals on this sign that they brand new sign they put up here for lunch specials available weekdays till 3 p.m uh served with chips drinks and a side item you you can't go to any of these chain these these uh, anonymous uh, these we'll keep we'll not mention their name chain places oh, and yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and get these deals. I mean three ribs with all those with all that uh, those extras nine forty nine, uh, pork beef sandwiches eight eight you know in in eight to nine dollar range uh, depending on you know extra sauce whatever things like that six wings eight forty nine with all those sides I mean you can't beat that and then you know, and then top it off with uh, two dollar twenty five cent uh, pints of. And our uh, Bush products. uh,
0: (laughs) Oh, 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 they also have. uh, What what do I drink my music from? Make a a Look Ultra or something like that. Anyway, all right, so good. We got our good friends over at the Rib Shack. Uh, Also, a big shout out to my good friends and buddies at uh, Tri City Bolt and Screw down there in Pinellas Park on US 19, where if you need any fasteners, I should say nuts, bolts, and screws. Um, And let's see. Great car show site that we always, it's always trustworthy.
5: That is flacarshows.com. Yeah. And. Even if you can't find a whole lot of events on it right now, they have a lot of great uh, co- um, uh, content for, uh, you know, other news and things like that going on in our car industry. And, um, you know, a lot of, uh, lot of, lot of um, uh, partners listed on there for uh, places to, you know, take your car, get it you know, do do whatever you need to do with it.
0: Um, well, I will say this. Up in Crystal River there, up at the Wendy's, they are meeting there every Saturday afternoon. So those guys are just kind of, even though they are kind of uh, adhering, you know, a little bit to social distancing, but, you know, hey, car guys are car guys, so what can I say? In fact, this past weekend, I was up at Leadfoot City's uh, swap meet Sunday, which is the third Sunday never every so I want to give a big shout-out to those guys over there at Leadfoot City because that was and monster transmission. That was pretty cool. It was a good swap meet. Um, you just never know. I mean, I picked up a little something. I don't. You know, I'm in the foreign cars, obviously. So I picked up a little uh, tire gauge uh, made by uh, um, Drager which is a German company, which is usually like a little funky little thing that uh, was usually standard equipment and if you, in a toolkit if you bought a Mercedes, a Porsche, a BMW or something like that. So it was there, it was kind of like a little aluminum housing, kind of neat looking thing. And for a few bucks that I spent for it, it was probably well worth it to me anyway, mm-hmm. from a collector. But there was gobs and gobs of engine parts. Mm-hmm. My buddy uh, Jay was there, which we're gonna have to get Jay on the show one day because he's an old time racer from South Florida. And uh, he's in the really, really weird stuff. A lot of the a lot of the old vintage sixties stuff, the Edelbrock stuff, the Fenton stuff, the Iskandarian stuff. I mean, uh, you know, just stuff that you don't even see anymore and hear of. But but really, really neat stuff. And yeah, no, of no. t- yeah, of course. What
5: we we're going to. Re- oh, going to oh. say,
0: and then, of course, well, you want to say something, I voice? was just
5: going to give a shout out to Tantalk's number one s- pillow salesman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah, well,
0: Bill Cochran, <laughs> we got to give a big shout out to yes, The only did. in America show. Yes, the
5: only in America show with promo code Bill. If you go to mypillow.com, that's promo code Bill to get yourself what we're sleeping on. That's my pillows. <laughs>
0: Great. You know, if you ever decide to change your career, you get a career yeah. in, uh, in, uh, in 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 advertising. No, but anyway, side of the glass. Right, 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 right. No yellow journalism here. <laughs> this is no fake news. This is all real stuff. Okay, right, let me tell you what I did today, real quick, before we go to a break and then get our guests on the show. You know, what I do appraisals and pre-purchases, back into diminished values and stuff like that. And now, you know, Meekums is coming up next week, so we're all excited about that. I use Meekums along with Barrett and a number of other auction companies. Uh, Hollywood Wheels, too, because I used to do uh, work with them. And a big shout-out to my good friends over there, Kelly and, and Hook and Mike and Flo. And um, I use them as references when I'm, when I'm doing my reports. Well, today I went and looked at the Thunder, uh, 57 Thunderbird. I have a 57 Bird. Had it since high school. It's 1973. Wow, that's a long time. Anyway, we'll talk about that another time. But anyway, so I went and looked at this 57 Chevy today, two-door postcard. And this guy uh, has had this car since uh, he was 15. Okay, so it's like the early 80s or something like that. Late, yeah, early 80s. So this was a really, really nice car. Solid body car. The only thing they replaced for sheet metal is the two front fenders. Other than that, it was all original. Decent paint job. Back in the day, held up very well. It's got a little checking on it. Okay, it's got a small motor, a small block Chevrolet out of a uh, 350 out of a, oh, I don't know, 73 Camaro, maybe something like that. The seats are out of a 73 Camaro. Same car. The rear end is original. um uh, chunk type that they put in 55, 6, and 7 Chevrolets back in the day, actually 57, 58 up and super nice driver, Kragers, it had a real com- ca- uh, you know, kind of a retro look to it just a period correct look out of the you know, 60, 70 style, Krager wheels on it uh, nice stance, fairly level it was a black car um, lacquer paint job back in the day, but where I'm going with this is this, this was just a really nice car this guy truly enjoys this car and he drives it, you know, every couple of weeks, and uh, drives it around town. And he was just goes by and lets a buddy his drive because he actually likes to ride in his car, which is kind of cool. It's kind of relaxing, and I get that too because I kind of like to ride in a car once in a while. I don't always like to drive, even though I do. And uh, but it was a really, really nice car. Where we're going with this is here's a guy that's got a car. that's probably worth somewhere between twenty, twenty-five, maybe even thirty thousand dollars. I got to kind of check the market a little bit because '57 Chevrolets are still, you know, they're just the the classic, you know fifties hot rod so to speak you know because everybody had a 57 chevrolet and uh so the tri fives of the tri fives and you know whether you like and and our neighbor up in, at one of the units that we're at where we're uh, hanging out everyone's while, he just picked up a 55 nomad he's also got a 57 but it's a pro street it's a serious piece it's probably a two hundred thousand dollar car but this 55 that he's do, that he bought this nomad is a really really clean solid old car so where i'm going with this is you do the car you can either do like uh like uh, I can't even think of his name right now. My name escapes me, but uh, he's like he's got two hundred thousand dollar pro touring car, pro street car, pro touring whatever. I mean, just you know, it's just bad to the bone. Or you can do like uh, the gentleman I did today, uh, Darren is his name, and uh, Darren just has a nice car that him and his family and everybody can go ride in, have fun in, and he doesn't have to worry about getting caught in the rain, which he doesn't drive in the rain, but, I mean, if he had to, you know, it's a car that he can drive every day, a little road grime, a little dust, a little dirt, a little this, a little that. It's not going to hurt it. And he doesn't have a zillion dollars in it, but it means just as much to him as it does the guy with a $200,000 car. And, but again, both guys, you know, don't drive their cars a lot, but they drive them a fair amount, and they truly enjoy them. So, the, go out there and have fun with your car. Just drive and get a car, drive it, enjoy it, keep it within your means, a comfort level, whatever that might be, you know, budget, uh, you know, if it's, if it's not an original Motor, it doesn't matter. This one actually had, and we're gonna get somebody on from Holly, he had one of those uh carburetor fuel injection type systems on it, and they're about two grand, twenty five hundred, fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred, you know, somewhere in that price. Let's just say fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred dollars. And you can get crazy with it, electronic ignition, but it was very, very smooth, very, very docile, had a nice little, it's got a little bump stick in it, you know, camshaft. And it's got a nice little aisle you know, which is kind of like uh, you know a thing that this car guy's like, especially with the V eight. Got to have a cam in it. Got to have a little bump stick. It's got to go bump, 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 bump. And uh, it was just a real pleasure to drive. It's a car that you could either drive every day if you had to, or like he does, you know, once or twice a week. But at any rate, so it's a good car. That's what you need to do. Go to Meekum's auction next week if you don't have anything. Hawk something that's just sitting around that you don't need, and turn it into a car that you can mm-hmm. enjoy and hang out there with the rest of us. Now, on that note, I think Tom is going to fire up the stereo. I think we're going to play a little O's oh, Presley. How about a little spin-out, since we're on the subject of cars? Yeah. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Freedom Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Land Speed Record Day. But it let me warn ya
3: You're on a one-way street She'll crowd your clothes Spin your wheels Then you're gonna know how it feels To spin out Yeah to Spin out Better watch those curves Never let her steer If she can shake your nerves boy, She can strip your gears She'll get your heart Going fast Then she'll let you run out of gas so spread, spread out out. Yeah. Spread out The road to love is full of oh. Danger signs oh. Too many guys were lost Across those double lines Don't you know she's out to prove She can really
5: score The soft parts move
3: Like that before
5: Come enjoy the best brews in Tampa Bay at Dunneen Brewery. Known as Florida's oldest microbrewery, they are always working to create a unique variety of craft beers for every taste. In addition, Dunedin Brewery features a full menu, including everything from their famous wings, burgers, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget about their live music, including the Wednesday Night Players Jam. That's Dunneen Brewery, 937 Douglas Avenue in downtown Dunedin. Visit them online at dunneanbrewery.com.
0: Are back and you tuned into nostalgic Great-End cars. Uh see Kenny's listening tonight. Hey, big shout out to Kenny. Now, Kenny has, even though I'm a Ford guy, he's always had some really cool little awesome but I think he's got a 73 Z28 right now. And I truly like second-gen Camaros. We have one too. We have a 74 Z28, four-speed car, and we also have a 78 that we've had forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. We have Little Rat Turd and Little Rat Turd 2. And <laughs> And Kenny has a really, not, of course, 74 is the first year for ugly aluminum bumpers, but the last year for a small back window, and 78 was the first year that they had the rubber bumpers all the way around, which is not a bad looking car. Um, like I said, both ours are four-speed air cars, so they're drivers, you know, just have some fun with them. i got to get a set of tires for them. We'll take those things out and, you know, burn some rubber with them. But uh, Kenny's got a real nice 73 Z28, so, uh, and I remember, if I remember correctly, it's a four-speed car. And uh, the gentleman's car today, Darren's car that I was doing in 57, um, that bl- was an original V8 car, and it was originally a black car, too, which was kind of cool. He still has a black, got a red interior in it, done really nicely. And he's got an automatic on the floor. Now, you know, he did it very tastefully. It's got a short shifter, kind of like a dual gate type thing, an aftermarket one, and then he had this really cool gauge in there that uh, talked about, that kind of com- talked to the computer and that fuel injection system that he got it was pretty cool. I'm gonna have to look into that because I don't know much about that. I'm still a points and a and a condenser and a carburetor kind of guy, and I guess I need to move into the 20 what first century is that? What we're in right now? Something you can like stay
5: it? back there; it's fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got the <laughs> guy. You got it handled. Okay, no worries. Well, you know, everything I got's old. I, I mean, you know. I
5: travel along on the appraisal runs now, so I can so I can push all the buttons on the touchscreen or on is, the
0: diminished value, I should say. Yep. <laughs> All right, Tommy, I think what we're going to do is let's just go right to the next song here. And uh, let's play a little Johnny Cash. And we're going to walk the line here. Oh. I want everybody watching the show or listening to the show to walk the line. Say, hey, you're tuning in to Nostalgia Creative Cars. Don't touch that. Doll. We'll be right back. And you too can walk the line here at Nostalgia Creative Cars. <laughs>
3: I keep you on my mind both day and night And happiness I've known proves that it's right Because you're mine, I walk the line
2: Give me a bite. Thank you. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Orson Welles. I'm speaking for the Mercury Theatre and what follows is supposed to advertise our first motion picture. Citizen Kane is the title, and we hope it can correctly be called a coming attraction. It's certainly coming, coming to this theater, and I think our Mercury actors make it an attraction. I'd like you to meet them. Speaking of attractions, well, the chorus girls are certainly an attraction, but frankly, ladies and gentlemen, we're just showing you the chorus girls for purposes of... ballyhoo. It's a pretty nice ballyhoo. But here's some of our real Mercury people. This is the first time you've seen most of them on the screen. Hey, uh, give Joe a little light. Thanks. Now, smile for the folks, Joe. Smile. Joseph Cotton, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. Joseph Cotton. I think you're going to see a lot of him. Here's Ruth Warwick, whom I know you love. Ruth. at the camera, Ruth. We caught Ruth with her hair up. And here's somebody you've all heard on the radio, so I don't have to tell you he's wonderful. Ray Collins. Dorothy Commingore is a name I'm going to repeat. Dorothy Commingore. I won't have to repeat it much longer. You'll be repeating it. And here's George Colurus, who's a grand actor. I'll say that name again. George Colurus. Watch it! Here comes Everett Sloan. Look out, Everett! Oops. Everett Sloan, ladies and gentlemen, he isn't necessarily a comedian. And here's one of the best in the world, Agnes Moorhead. I've said a lot of nice things, but Erskine Sanford deserves some more. Erskine? Erskine Sanford. So does Paul. Paul? Paul Stewart, everybody. Citizen Kane is a modern American story about a man called Kane, Charles Foster Kane. I don't know how to tell you about him. There's so many things to say. I'll turn you over instead to the characters in the picture. As you'll see, they feel very strongly on the subject. Charles Foster Kane is... Sure, he started the war. But do you think if it hadn't been for Mr. Kane, the United States would have the Panama Canal? Charles Foster Kane is nothing more or less than a communist! Kane? Governor, listen. When the voters of this state and Mrs. Kane learn what I found out about Mr. Kane and a certain little blondie named Susan Alexander, he couldn't be elected dog catcher. I'm going to skin Mr. Charles Foster Kane alive. I'm going to marry him next week at the White House. Emily, I hear you've been stepping out with Charlie Kane. <laughs> I. Of course I love him. I gave him $60 million. Well, of course I love him. He's the richest man in America. But all the girls say about him at first. But you know, I can't help but admire him. He's crazy. He's wonderful. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what you'll think about Mr. Kane. I can't imagine. You see, I play the part myself. Well, Kane is a hero and a scoundrel a no-account, and a swell guy, a great lover, a great American citizen, and a dirty dog. It depends on who's talking about him. What's the real truth about Charles Foster Kane? I wish you'd come to this theater when Citizen Kane plays here. And decide for yourself. Hi, this is Ed Escutarian here, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
0: Okay, we're back and you're tuned into Nostalgic Reading Cars, and it's time to uh, introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman was here last week, and he is a legendary land speed record holder, Dick Keller, and I'm delighted to welcome back to Nostalgic Reading Cars for part two. Dick, how are you doing this evening?
4: I'm doing fine, Robert. And while I was waiting for you to come online, they were playing my favorite song, Johnny Cash, singing "I walk the line."
0: That's it. That's it. We played that especially for you. How about that?
4: about
0: that, yeah. Okay, well now, last week we were right up against the clock and you were telling us about how you made the uh, second pass but why don't you go ahead and start just before that so when you wait, tell us about when you made the first pass and then how basically it works so people understand because you have to do it twice you have to go down one way, you have to wait a while and then you have to come back and be able to do the and they take the average of two runs, is that how it works? Yeah, no,
4: that's correct and, and the way it's set up, uh you go for the mile and kilometer flying start record at the same time, the uh, <clears throat> kilometer speed traps are within the mile. And you have to make two runs with, within one hour. That's the uh, FIA requirement. So uh, we had the car all fueled up and we had just gotten in our 98% hydrogen peroxide so we could uh, burn more natural gas. And we, we got the uh, Rocket motor tuned up, ready to go, and uh, the weather was closing in, so we had to get moving. And we got the car running, and off she went. Uh, Gary uh, fired the car, and the the, the program is, uh, as I explained last week, with the rocket, you run it at full power, and uh, we reach uh, maximum speed in the middle of the measured distance, at which point the rocket is out of fuel, and then it coasts out. So we could hear uh, Gary on the radio when he was uh, under power. And off he went, and he's going 300, 350, 400, 450, 500, 550, 600, 650. Yeah, we did it. And then he coasted on out uh, of the mile and uh, and the kilometer. So then we have to catch him. He's got the parachutes out, and we have to catch them and turn the car around and refuel it. So we got all that done and got him off going in the opposite direction. Uh, in I think it was 49 minutes uh, when he uh, broke the lights at the other end. <clears throat> so, uh, again, he was giving us the speeds over the uh, uh, radio, and parachutes came out, and he stopped. So now we had to wait for the FIA, or the FIA and USAC guys uh, to give us the official times. So we're standing around and all of a sudden uh, Joe Petrelli drives up in his car with a big grin on his face and he gave us the good news, 630 miles an hour in the kilometer and 622 in the mile. So we had done it. So we still had some of that fuel left but it was starting. the weather was starting to get bad. So we went into town we celebrated thinking maybe Uh, The next day, on the 24th, we could go out and just give it another shot to go faster. We got up in the morning, and there was like four or five inches of snow on the car and on the ground. We were done.
0: (laughs) So take us through the process. Can you tell us, like, now you didn't actually drive the car, but is there a way that you can tell it? Because there's some really interesting forces that take place, because... You know, I'm I'm not sure if you guys were really into ground effects back in those days and stuff, but I mean, did, when you get to that that speed, d- doesn't I mean, how do you keep the car straight? I mean, there's got to be wind deflection in there, something that kind of does. The, does the car want to go one way? I mean, how does how hard is it for the driver to fight to keep that car straight? And is there a line that goes down there that he basically uses as a reference that he that he that he uh, tries to stay close to or something like that? How does it, how does it basically work?
4: Okay I'll describe it to you. The, the course itself, the international course that year was about 11-12 miles long of good salt.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And the, they scrape the salt to make it smooth and uh, the course itself they have a, a black line on each side is 120 feet wide and then right down the middle there's another black stripe so that you can f- follow that as you're going. And we had limited steering plus or minus one degree but that's all we needed you don't want fast steering when you're going fast. So uh, uh, off he went. And then, uh, let me think. Uh, okay, we, we wouldn't run the car if there was a crosswind of more than about uh, 8 or 10 miles an hour because that could cause you to start just to uh, drift off course. So that was one of the considerations. In fact, there were a couple of days that we planned to run that we didn't because uh, we did have a crosswind coming across the uh, salt, So, uh, but typically the car goes straight as an arrow, it's designed like a dart with uh, more drag at the back end with the tail fin and the, and the rear wheels uh, sticking out beyond the back of the car. So you've got that drag to help behind the center. You, have, you want the center of uh, force to be, high, be behind the center of gravity. So the center of gravity is up near the fuel tanks halfway up the car. And the center of force is back towards the cockpit because of the uh, wheels sticking out the back, providing some drag. Uh, ground effects, we, we were expecting uh, to be going into the transonic region where you begin to get shock waves coming off the car okay. and bouncing off the ground. So in our wind tunnel testing, we were looking at that. And as a result, the if you look at a cross section of the car, the fuselage, you can't see it. Just looking at it really, but if you have a cross section of it, the uh, fuselage isn't circular. It's, it has a shape where it's a little more V-shaped uh, towards the bottom, so that if you get shock waves coming up off the uh, bouncing off the salt, it would tend to deflect around the car and not provide lift. At the same time we had the car uh, the, the top of the uh, cross section was more flat to, to give you more down force. And then uh, we had two little canard fins uh, at the front to help us trim it to keep it uh, pointing down. So that's always, you know, your big consideration is going to want to lift. We never had any problem with that.
0: Now the driver of the vehicle, how much experience does he have to have? I mean, it's almost like he's got to be a pilot. It sounds like when you're dealing with lift and and deflection, and I mean, it sounded like you know the way the hull, with the the bottom of the uh, fuselage is, it's almost like a, a boat in a way. So it kind of runs off at an angle, kind of like a like you're like a keel. Um,
4: yeah. Well, there, he only had to worry about two things regarding the uh, dynamics of the car. Okay. Uh, Getting the uh, rocket motor firing uh, to provide the thrust, forward thrust, and then the yaw, which would be pitching side to side. Okay. So uh, uh, as I was saying, because of of our shaping it more or less like a dart, uh, we didn't really have too much trouble with yawing. So it, it was a pretty smooth run, in fact, uh, on one of the runs, he had his oxygen hose come off on his face mask, and he had to hold the uh, the, the face mask open with one hand while he was driving with one hand at oh. 600 miles
0: an hour. Oh. oh my! Tell us about the tires. Now I know you briefly mentioned something about that, but t- how much force is on those, and the dynamics of those tires, and and how are they designed, and and you know pros and cons.
4: Well, the tires were, of course, designed by Goodyear to go fast. Uh, we had tested the tires and the wheels at Goodyear at 850 miles an hour. And uh, they have a, uh, at, at that time, they, the construction was that they had a stainless steel bead and then the, the uh, they had synthetic fabric uh, construction of the tire. And it's, you know, it's, uh, it has no tread on it. It's smooth. It just had a layer of rubber over the uh, the fabric to give you a little bit of uh, traction. We, we needed it to have a, as much coefficient of friction as we could get between the salt and the tire. So we, that was provided with the rubber on the surface. Uh, we ran uh, 24 runs and never had a tire problem. The only uh, We changed the one rear tire because when we were pushing it around in the pits one time, uh, uh, somebody got in front of the car and uh, the driver hit the brakes and skidded one of the tires and some of the rubber, it was only like a sixteenth inch thick, uh, was scraped off. So we we replaced that tire. The other tire ran all all of the runs over 400, 500, and 600 miles an hour. We did replace the two front uh, wheels one time. We had a an air leak, these were tubeless tires, and uh we had an air leak, so if we were replacing one, we thought we'd replace both at the same time, so the front tires were replaced probably after ten runs
0: okay so, so when you you just said that uh the, how how what was the thickness of the of the rubber
4: about a sixteenth of an inch you could you could actually see the cords of the uh of the fabric of the tire through the rubber. <laughs>
0: Well, now, wasn't that a little dis- uh, you know, a little concerning there? I mean, because if you're talking a sixteenth of an inch and you're going 600 miles an hour, heat, friction, you would think that they would just kind of separate and come apart, though.
4: Well, the idea of keeping the rubber thin is to avoid heat. Uh, oh. You get heat in the tires when the rubber is flexing. Okay. And if you don't have uh, a lot of rubber to flex, or none to flex, if you will, <clears throat> you don't build up any heat.
0: Was the rim design a special way? I mean, did the did the tire contour the rim?
4: Well, it was a uh, it was an open rim like on a conventional wheel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, the uh, it was a tight fit with the bead. It was a you know stainless steel bead, and it was quite thick, and uh, it took a lot of effort to uh, to mount the tire. It, it, the the wheel split in half, and then you you'd mount the tire, and then. Uh, we pumped them up to 350 psi, so there oh. was really no deflection. They were like rocks. Oh yeah, yeah. If you if you banged them with your uh, fist, you could hear it, it like a bell, <laughs> bong.
0: <laughs> okay, so what was the diameter of the wheels on there? I mean, obviously with the t- multiple different sizes, front smaller, bigger than the rears, and vice versa.
4: No, all the tires and wheels were the same, a 35 inch diameter.
0: 35. Okay, all right. What did the what did the vehicle weigh?
4: Uh, it weighed about 4,000 pounds empty, and then we had about 2,000 pounds of fuel.
0: 2,000 pounds of fuel. How big was the tank? Yeah. How many gallons? Uh, what does that translate the, to? The pounds? Is, it
4: around 300 gallons. It was hydrogen peroxide is it's heavier than water.
0: Okay, so now tell us a little bit about the fuels. So hydrogen peroxide versus kerosene versus natural gas. So kind of give us kind of like a, take us through the, educate us a little bit.
4: (laughs) Okay, well, the the motor, the rocket motor had actually three different ways you could run it, okay? Now, first of all, we ran hydrogen peroxide 90% and later uh, 98% uh, through a catalyst pack and that provides thrust by itself, just like we had on our X1 Rocket Dragster.
0: Now, let me interject here for a second. When you say hydrogen peroxide, am I thinking the same hydrogen peroxide that we use in in the medical field?
4: Correct. Same hydrogen peroxide, only much higher concentration. Okay. So the medical or the chemical composition is H2O2, okay? H2O is water, okay? The O2 is oxygen, okay? So what happens is when you run the uh, hydrogen peroxide through a catalyst, it decomposes into water and oxygen. While it's decomposing, it generates a tremendous amount of heat. So it gets up, you know, like around 1,200 degrees, something like that. And uh, so you have... uh, you have uh, all this heat, and you have ox- the free oxygen coming off. The, uh, if you're just running hydrogen peroxide, so the idea is to use a put a fuel in there to co- be consumed with that oxygen. And so, in our case, we use liquefied natural gas. So, the second phase of running it is uh, we, we ran the uh, liquefied natural gas into a, a heat exchanger, <clears throat> and then out into the oxygen. Or the, the hydrogen peroxide downstream, so it was water and oxygen. So with the oxygen there, the, uh, the LNG coming out of the heat exchanger was heated up to a temperature where it would night ignite right away and burn with that oxygen, sort of like an afterburner. And then the, to get even more power out of it, we had another set of nozzles downstream. So that basically, we were injecting we were uh, taking the liquefied natural gas going through the heat exchanger and turning it into a gas instead of a liquid. And then with that heat of that combustion downstream from that we had a, another set of injectors where we injected liquid so the uh, the gas stream was already hot enough that it would immediately burn the liquefied natural gas farther downstream and we had still a lot of excess oxygen so, so we could have a fire. So we had, we had three phases to it. Now the, the rocket motor was designed to put out 22,000 pounds of thrust using all three stages. But uh, our first year out there, the only year out there, uh, Goodyear had asked us to stay under 700 miles an hour, and they owned the tires. Okay. So we had to do what they said. So in order to avoid going over 700 miles an hour, we did not use the third stage of uh, LNG injection, at least not originally, and uh, just used the first stage of LNG with the hydrogen peroxide to get around uh, between 13 and 15,000 pounds of thrust. We were running about a little over half our power uh, all the time when we were going after the record.
0: So, if you had to do it in retrospect, had Goodyear not put the limitations on you with the tires, what speeds do you think you could have achieved?
4: Well, if we could have run uh, the full 22,000-pound thrust, uh, we know we, uh, we could go easily over 750 miles an hour, closer to 800.
0: Wow. To this day, what is the record right now? Is it close to—it's it's over 700, isn't it? It's close to 1,000?
4: Uh, it's it's uh, 763 right now.
0: 763.
4: Yeah, they didn't set—it the, was 27 years later they set that record.
0: <laughs> wow. So how long was your record standing?
4: Well, here's the thing, uh, it's kind of, an to set a new world record, you have to break the old record by 1%. Okay. okay? We had two world records, one for the mile, 630, one for the kilometer, uh, excuse me, one for the mile at 622, one for the kilometer at 630, okay? In 1983, Richard Noble went out there with a jet car, and he went 633 miles per hour, okay? That's not 1% faster than our kilometer record, so he didn't break that. But he did break the mile record, 622 record, by more than 1%. So actually he had, had, because now the mile was the faster of the two, faster than the kilometer, he had the faster world record, so he broke our record by three miles an hour.
0: Okay, now let me ask you this. In terms of uh, your rocket power versus, let's say your contemporaries at the time, um, Art Arfons, uh, Craig Breedlove, um, Mickey Thompson, even. I mean, I'm sure you got some stories about those guys.
4: <laughs> well, they were running, uh, Arfons and Breedlove were running J 79 jets. Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, those things were putting out around 12,000 pounds of thrust. So uh, we were able to, you know, uh, Developed our rocket motor to put out twice that, so we were confident, you know, in the end that we'd be able to break the records that they set.
0: Now, what was Mickey Thompson up to back in those days? Because he was doing land speed record cars too. I mean, all kinds of them. I mean, just street cars, V eight motors, just all kinds of stuff. So, what? Uh, do you have any stories? And any? Did you have a relationship with Mickey?
4: Well, I, 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 get, I did get to know him. He was running wheel drive driven cars. Okay, and he had uh, his first. Uh, Last speed attempt, uh, he I think he went three hundred and ninety, not quite four hundred, not, not quite four hundred miles an hour, and it was with four uh, Pontiac engines in it, and uh, so he was going to build another car. And he was going to try it again. Well, he had a deal with Ford Motor Company uh, in nineteen sixty-eight, right? To uh, or no sixty-nine to go out there with the new Mustangs that were coming out, the Mach 1 Mustangs.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And they, they wanted to set a bunch of uh, world records with the Mustangs. And uh, Danny Angayas and Mickey were driving the cars.
0: Danny so, Angayas, the drag racer? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay.
4: So anyhow... Uh, da-
0: Danny on the gas, right? <laughs> Danny on the gas. <laughs> Danny on the gas.
4: So anyhow, Joe Petrali, the, the, the USAC guy, the timer... You know, when I was talking to him in uh, early 1969, uh, he said, you guys have never been on the salt, have you? I said, no, never been out there. He said, well, maybe you ought to see it firsthand, you know, before you come out there and set the world record. So he said, I'll be timing Mickey with his Ford project, and uh, it was in uh, September of '69. So he says, come on out, I'll introduce you to Mickey, and you can see how they run... uh, on the salt flats. So I took them up on that and went out there and uh, and Mickey and and uh, Danny, they were setting all kinds of uh, short distance records. They had a, a five mile circle set up on the south they could run for distance records. And while I was out there, in fact, I ran into Burt Monroe, the world's fastest Indian.
0: Oh, wow, no <laughs> yeah. kidding.
4: Yeah, so he was out there watching too, so we got to talk a little bit. Anyhow. So I got to talking to Mickey, and so he, he said, "Joe Pacelli, says you guys want to set the world land speed record." I said, "Oh yeah, we do. We'll be out here." <laughs> he says, "Well, you better have a ton of money." I said, "Yeah, we have a ton of money." So he says, "You've, you've never gone fast out here?" I said, "No." So he he had a, this uh, a Mach one Mustang that he was running. Uh, I'm trying to remember, I think he was setting records up close to 200 miles an hour with it. So he says, "Hop in the car. I'll show you the course." So I, I hop in the car, he, he straps in, puts his helmet on, and I'm sitting on a box <laughs> on the passenger side holding on to the roll bar. He says, off we go. So we go roaring down the course. And he's pointing out, you know, if you see this area over here, that's soft salt and this and that. And he's talking to me, and we're going like 150 miles an hour. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there holding on. <laughs> <laughs> Your life. So anyhow, he, he took some time with me, and I was very happy to see that. He had uh, that Ford uh, Streamliner out there, had, I think, two uh, Ford engines in it, and he never got to run it. And then, I think the next year is when he and his wife were murdered, so he never got to run it.
0: That's unfortunate. Let me ask you this, go ahead.
4: His son, uh, uh, I think Danny's his name, uh, took the car out to the South Flats, I believe last year, and did set some records with it, so it did get to run eventually.
0: He actually had, I think, was it this year, Bobby? When uh, my son's sitting here with me, it's my son, Bobby. Hi. Hey. Um, I think it was was it this year that he was that uh, Mickey Thompson's son had the uh, that the the car for that they sold at uh, Meekum's? Was it this year? or Was it last year? Yeah, I believe it was this year. Yeah. The, this year, yeah. So they called. They sold the 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 land speed car, and they sold the rig, the truck, right, and, yeah, the trailer, yeah, and the trailer, and the whole nine that yards was there. Big that was deal. Yep. I believe yep. that was this year. Yeah, it sold for, it. and it sold really cheap. I think it was like a half a million bucks. Yeah, we talked with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. So, that's, uh, it
0: was, a, it was, I think, on eBay, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. eBay! <laughs> All right, so tell us a little bit now. We've covered quite a bit, but how caustic is the salt and how much damage can the salt do to the car? What kind of preparation do you have to do to preserve the car, particularly if you're going to run it, let's say, the following year or so? Or is it a completely new car because it's just uh, disintegrated? Well, in terms of
4: uh, caustic, uh, <laughs> when I rented the rented my car at salt lake city to drive out there to see joe that time and the gal says where are you going with the with the car i said oh, i'm going out to wendover to the salt flats." she says well don't drive it on the salt <laughs> <laughs> and uh in fact uh it, this the salt tends to uh, fly off you know, when you have tread on your tires the salt tends to fly off the tires and into the wheel wells and all that yeah and at the, at the gas station in town there they had a, a, a deal set up where you could drive your car onto a set of rails, and they'd go underneath and hose it down from underneath, so you wouldn't, you know, have the car rot out. Uh, of course, we were used to that in Chicago with the salted streets in <laughs> <and> the winter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. All right, now let's let's go to something else here, real quick. You were uh, messing around with motorcycles too, so motorcycle drag cars?
4: No, Are no. Dra- well, I was I was uh, just a motorcycle enthusiast. Oh, okay. In 1970, we had some uh, downtime uh, at the shop. And so Kawasaki was, they had a deal. If you set a a motorcycle land speed record with Kawasaki, they'd give you $100,000. So Pete Farnsworth and I looked at that and thought, well, why don't we try that? So since we had some time, I designed a motorcycle streamliner to use a pair of Kawasaki 500s. So, but we, we didn't get... The thing finished because, but then we were going out to the salt to run the car uh, in, in the fall. So, anyhow, we went out and set the record, and the Blue Flames running around the world on tour. And uh, one of our shop workers, Dix Erickson, uh, he had left and he'd gone to Gardena, California, worked for American Honda. So, he was over there talking to the guys in, in Honda Racing. He said, You know, these guys in Milwaukee, they have a a motorcycle streamliner that should be able to set a new world record. You know, why don't we have them put Hondas in there and set a world record with uh, Hondas? So uh, he came out with a couple of the uh, Honda engineers, and we showed him what we were doing. So he decided, yeah, we'll sponsor the deal. <clears throat> so I had to redesign it to uh, hold the Honda engines. We got uh, 750cc four-cylinder Honda engines. And we, we mounted a pair of them in the in the in the motorcycle. We call it the Honda Hawk, and it was they were turbocharged, and we ran out alcohol. So they were pretty stock engines, actually. About the only thing we did different was they put a different camshafts in there, so that we would use the the intake valves for exhaust and vice versa. And that's because naturally aspirated, uh, they have the. Uh, the larger valves for the intake because there's, the air is coming in at atmospheric pressure, and, but it's going out at high pressure. So they switched it around because we had high pressure air coming in off the turbochargers. But uh, other than uh, switching the, the, the valves, uh, putting the turbocharger on there running alcohol, uh, that's about all we did. It was chain drive. And uh, so we went out there in 71 and loaded for bear, but one of the problems we ran into was they had just uh, put in Interstate 80 uh, to replace U.S. 40, which was going past the salt flats. And they did that over the previous winter. And to build the uh, interstate, they have to build a berm on the salt and then put the roadway over that. Well, when they were hauling all this uh, dirt out there and fill, whatever, uh, in the winter time with the rains and the snow, a lot of it washed out onto the course. So the summer comes, the salt dries, and this uh, mud and whatever dries and blows away. We ended up with a washboard out there. So we're trying to go, you know, uh, 300 miles an hour on, on this washboard. And uh, John McKibben was the rider. We had them all set up, but we kept having problems. We were going fast, but we we never were able to make two-way runs because we were always breaking something on our first run. We couple of times we over-revved the uh, motor and, and dropped the valves, and other once or twice we we broke the chain when the wheel over-revved and came back down and hit the salt and broke the chain. But when we went out there, the FIM record, world record for motorcycles was 225, and the AMA record set the year before by uh, Harley was 265. Uh, we did get a, our fastest one-way FIM-timed run was 286. So we had we had the speed, but we just couldn't back it up.
0: Wow. Well, Dick, again, here we are. We're up against the clock, and it looks to me that we might have to do a third show with you because you got some pretty good stories because stories is what really people love to listen to. But again, I want to thank you very much for taking some time and uh, sharing some of this stuff with us. And uh, you've had an amazing career. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just uh, fascinating, you know. And so uh, we look forward to having you on the show again sometime. And uh, let's definitely stay in touch. And maybe let's do this down the road. How about that?
4: Okay, call me when you're ready.
0: I will certainly do that. In the meantime, you take care. And uh, we'll see you on the track sometime.
4: Okay, fair I-
0: enough. All right, take care. Thank you very much. Hey, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning into Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday night on the Talk Radio Network. And uh, don't forget to follow us on uh, some some our social media, Bobby. Oh yes, we're back. Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn,
5: YouTube, and everything else, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Happy Radio Day.
0: Yeah, happy radio day. And then don't forget, if you need appraisal, pre-purchase inspection, uh, diminished value, total loss report, anything like that, give us a call here at golfstreammotorsports.com. Find us on our website, golfstreammotorsports.com. And don't forget, for some of the most legendary and fascinating names in motorsports, uh, especially even guys like uh, Dick Keller. What a fascinating guy. We truly enjoyed having him on the show. It's so all right here. <laughs> yep. So I want to see you guys out there driving your cars. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family.